Just a reminder, um, for those of you that are here present this morning, I'm hoping each one of you was able to pick up that little cup we're going to share uh, communion before we conclude this morning. Those of you that are here via YouTube, you'll want to find a piece of bread or a cracker, some appropriate uh, thing to participate and join with us, and uh, a cup of juice or whatever you liquid you've got to share. Uh, just plan ahead and be prepared, and, and we'll share that together as we conclude. Oh man, my heart is full from our, our time of worship. Just very... Oh, they didn't get passed out. Okay. So, well, apparently they're going to pass them out right now, which is okay. Well, uh, I'll have to think of something. I stole one too, but I was ahead of the curve. So, uh, my wife stole it. We had a little communication breakdown because our intention was to hand them out as you came in. But, uh, oh well. Stuff happens, right? So, I don't know if we had two different plans or what was going on, but... Uh, We'll let the men do that. You know, I feel it appropriate as we gather here on the 12th of September, 20 years after the 9-11 event. I don't know if you were able to participate either on television or in person at any uh, 9-11 events yesterday. Uh, our good friend Wayne Eyre hosted a huge event at his church in Pocomoke City, Maryland. Is that where that place is? Uh, and I was watching him online uh, leading that service, and they had fire trucks and big, huge American flag. And uh, what a great opportunity he sees to be able to uh, honor the events of 9-11, more importantly, to honor Jesus and to lift him up. And I just encourage you, uh, you're on uh, Facebook, uh, try to track Wayne down and look at the service. Uh, that they had yesterday, it was it was pretty amazing. A uh, lot of things took place, a lot of public events. I was invited to participate in one, and I was unable to do that. But uh, just a lot of a lot of good stuff. So let's pray together, and I just want to encourage you and uh, just to think back 20 years ago. Our country is certainly in a different place today, isn't it? I think back to this date. 20 years ago, our country had never probably experienced greater unity, greater togetherness, greater patriotism, flags flying everywhere, and uh, we walked onto the stage of our country today, and it's very much different, very much a divided country, very much a, a hostile work environment, right? And uh, we just need to pray that God would be at work in our country. I, I think he wants to use all the unrest and all the turmoil and, yes, even this virus to bring people to himself. I, I believe that that's what Jesus is up to. And so we just want to pray that way and pray that he would give us a sensitivity to the opportunities around us to, to represent Jesus. I know a group of our uh, church family were out in one of the city parks yesterday. I saw uh, some pictures that I think Jen posted on Facebook. And I just saw several of our church family meeting folks in the park, uh, sharing the gospel, praying together with people. We need to be alert to the opportunities that this culture is providing for us. And so let's just pray in that vein this morning. Lord Jesus, as we have gathered here in this place, we've come to worship you. We've come to exalt the name of Jesus. We've come to gather around the cross. And as that last song spoke so powerfully, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. 
And Lord, even as we gather at this time in our nation, this time of division, this time of so much anger and, and vitriol and, and hatred, and the, uh, the list just goes on and on, and it grieves my spirit to see all of this going on. And yet, Lord, I believe with all of my heart that you want to use all of these circumstances and all of these events to bring people to Jesus. And I'm mindful this morning that there are, there are people, families, even 20 years later, deeply grieving the loss of, of family members and friends who, who perished on that day 20 years ago. I think of friends of mine who lost very, very good and dear friends and still with a sense of loss and a sense of grief. And Lord, I would pray not only your comfort, but I would pray that through these events and even in deep grief, that people would, would seek you, that people would be drawn to know Jesus. And so, Lord, this morning as we gather here around the cross, remind us, <laughs> remind us, Lord, as we have sung so well together, Remind us of what was accomplished with the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1934, a group with the veterans of foreign wars established a monument on Sunrise Mountain out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. They erected an eight-foot wooden cross, and it was intended to be a memorial in 1934, looking back and honoring those veterans who had given their life in the First World War. That wooden cross over time deteriorated, was replaced with a metal cross in the 1990s. As we came into the 2000s, the uh, American Civil Liberties Union decided that it was a conflict of church and state for that cross to be erected because it was on federal land. And so they filed suit against the state of California, against the federal government, and uh, the cross was boxed in with a wooden box around it uh, because it was a violation of church and state. One of our senators, one of our national congressmen, passed a law in Congress giving one acre of land around that cross to the veterans of foreign wars so it was no longer on federal land and they were able again to, to have the cross atop of Sunrise Mountain. ACLU came along again and decided it was unconstitutional for the government to give that acre of land to the veterans of foreign wars. And so they came back again and filed suit. Finally the Supreme Court ruled that it was not a violation of the Constitution, that the cross could remain. And in May of 2010, all of this was decided, all of this was settled, and the cross was again the top sunrise mountain in all of its, all of its glory. Then on May 9th, in the middle of the night, someone came and stole the cross. <laughs> And as I've read this story and read this account of the cross on Sunrise Mountain, I have all these questions that go through my mind of why people are so bothered by the cross. Why is the cross such a big deal to people that they want to remove it from the public scene? What would motivate somebody in the dark of night to go and steal that cross? 
On the other hand, as I think about that stolen cross, I think about how easily, how easily it happens in your life and mine that the stuff of life steals the cross from us. And we kind of forget about it. It doesn't have the same impact last Friday or last Monday that it does right now because we've sung about the cross for half an hour. And so the cross easily becomes stolen from the very forefront and center of our attention. And I want to suggest to you this morning that what we really need in our our hearts and in our lives and our minds and our spirits is that somehow we'd be able to keep the cross at the very center of our lives. And so this morning I want to take a look at the cross. I don't have anything brilliant and new as as much as just to remind you of what the cross accomplished for you and for me. And and we've sung about it so much of what we've sung about parallels the thoughts that, that I want to share with you this morning. Because if we're going to keep the cross at the very center and the very forefront of our hearts and our minds and our lives, it's important to reflect back and remember what was accomplished at the cross. Because the very first thing that impresses itself upon my heart and mind is that the cross is the only means of salvation. There's no other way for someone to come into relationship with the living God. There's no other way for someone to experience forgiveness for sin. There's no other means available to provide a path to heaven. Right? Right. All right, thank you. I needed that little encouragement. Thank you. Good to have you back with us, by the way. All right. Good to have all of those folks back that have battled COVID. The cross is the only means of salvation. And I think of this as I as I reflect on many scriptures, but if you want to try to catch up with me, I'm gonna come first to the book of Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul begins by emphasizing who Jesus is. And then he transitions from emphasizing who Jesus is to focusing on what he has done. And so in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 1, he rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. We just sang about that. Above all, above all, above all. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated, Hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now 
reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Jesus' death on the cross was the means by which God was able to reconcile us to himself. We are able to come into harmony with our Creator, to find reconciliation, relationship, because of the cross. The cross is the only means where that could happen. Across the page in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Notice the word all, right? Amen? Forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And I love that passage because the Apostle Paul talks about the certificate of debt that was nailed to the cross. And we read those words without really comprehending fully what it says. In that culture, if you were a capital criminal, accused of a capital capital offense, they would create a, a placard, a, a certificate of debt, they called it, whether a piece of wood that they would write on, and on that piece of wood they would write your crime. And so if you were being held captive awaiting execution and you were a murderer, on that certificate of debt would be the word murder. Jesus went to the cross and over his hand was placed his certificate of debt against him. And what did Pilate have written? (laughs) The king of the Jews. And Paul takes that imagery and says that when Jesus died on the cross, he took your, your certificate of debt. And that's what was nailed to the cross. Taking it out of the way. The debt is paid. There's no other way. Isn't that what Peter said? Remember when Peter and John got arrested after they healed the man at the gate beautiful at the temple there? They got hauled in before the Sanhedrin. One of the great declarations of Peter in that confrontation with the the ruling religious leaders of of his day, he said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Couldn't make it any clearer, right? I mean, that's, that's what I call cookies on the bottom shelf. Everybody can reach it. Couldn't be any clearer. You see, it's important for us to keep the cross at the very center and forefront of our hearts, our minds, and our lives because it reminds us that Jesus' death on the cross is payment for sin. The only, only path salvation the second thing that impresses me as I reflect on the scriptures is that of all the things that we choose to boast about in life the one important thing to get excited about and boast about is what the cross the cross and what Jesus did at the cross 
And if you're like me, you find yourself prone to kind of be a little excited about your accomplishments and your achievements, be they whatever level. Um, I find it pretty easy to boast about my grandkids, right? Boast about my kids. I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of my grandkids. But in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says it this way. He says in... In verse 14, he's in this conversation with the Galatians who are proud of all kinds of the wrong stuff. They're, they're proud of their, their heritage. They're proud of being circumcised. They're proud of all this stuff. And in verse 14, Paul says, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, the cross needs to be kept front and center <laughs> because it's a reminder to us that that's what we ought to get excited about. That's what we ought to be promoting. That's what we ought to be boasting about and elevating is the cross and what Jesus did at the cross. The old hymn says it this way. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. It's all about the cross. That last song we sang... Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. It's the only path to salvation. It should be our only cause for boasting. And then the third thought as I reflected on this is the cross must always be the main focus of whatever ministry we choose to engage in, either collectively as a church family or individually. Whatever ministry we engage in, the cross needs to be front and center. The gospel message needs to be front and center. It's not enough to have a ministry of recovery and help people to be sober and to live a sober life. That has value. But if we're going to have a ministry like that, we need to be bringing people to the foot of the cross, right? It's not enough for us to go out on the riverbed and feed and clothe and care for the homeless unless we're sharing the gospel. We're taking them to the foot of the cross. It's it's not enough. It's good. It's great. It's wonderful. But it's not enough without the gospel message and without the cross. It's got to be the very core and center of everything that we do. On Tuesdays, I typically go for a bike ride for a couple of hours in the morning. And my habit the last few weeks has been when I come back from the riverbed, is I do a loop around the New River Elementary School and pray that God would open doors and give us opportunity there. Then I ride down and do a loop around D.D. Johnston and pray the same. In the past, I've gone and ridden around the Corvallis, and that's the name of the junior high school, and of course Norwalk High School the other way. I just think everything that we do as a church, cross has got to be in the very center. And whether that's a, a Bible study 
whether that's a fellowship group or a group of women get together to paint or whatever that activity is, the very main focus of everything that we do needs to be the cross of Jesus. We need to be reminded of that regularly. We really, really do. It needs to be the main focus of all that we do. Paul says it this way in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, and I like this a lot. Beginning in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize. Did he baptize people? Sure. But he understood clearly what his mission was. He said, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The cross <laughs> the cross has to be front and center of everything that we do. You know, I've heard most of my life um, the phrase, maybe you've heard it too, that um, I think it was Blaise Pascal who was credited with saying that in, inside every human heart is a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill, right? I've heard that all of my life, and, and I appreciate what that says. But God filling a vacuum in your heart and life isn't why Jesus went to the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because of sin. Because we needed forgiveness. We need to be reconciled to our God. We needed, we needed to be brought back into harmony with our God. And so the, the, the cross must always be at the center of our hearts, our minds, our lives. And certainly in the ministry of our church and in our lives individually. The fourth thing that has struck me as I've reflected on this in recent days is that the cross also is intended to motivate us to holiness. The cross is intended to motivate us to godliness. It's intended to motivate us to live lives that are godly. That's what God wants. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer to the Hebrews at the beginning in verse 1 is painting a picture for us. And this picture is a picture of a stadium. Picture a coliseum like the Los Angeles Coliseum. Picture a coliseum like the Rose Bowl, or maybe if you watch the Olympics. Um, and so the writer to Hebrews is painting this picture of you and me running a race. And in this stadium, in this coliseum, we're surrounded by what he calls a great cloud of witnesses. 
And I can't help but notice that in chapter 11, in what's often been called the Hall of Faith, we have all these who have gone before, Abraham and Moses and Noah and so on down the list. And I believe those are the witnesses that the writer is describing for us. When he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so there's this this image of you and me running a race. Um, I've never enjoyed running. Running races was never attractive to me. Um, That's why I love to ride my bike. I don't have to have my feet on the ground. I'm gone. But I've noticed a couple things in my, uh, my life experience in cycling is that two things really impact my ability to ride my bike. One thing that impacts me is the presence of witnesses. I find when I ride with my friends, I tend to ride a little stronger. I can ride a little longer. Um, And sometimes that's because they're just there. They're watching. They don't have to say a word, right? And there's other times when we're riding and maybe I'm climbing up the mountain, up to Mount Baldy, and and, uh, it's a hot day, it's a long ride, it's all uphill, and there's words spoken, there's words of encouragement, words of hope, you can do it. Witnesses matter. It's good to have witnesses in your life. And Paul says, we're running this race and we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And in my mind, they're, they're cheering us on. You know, one of the great losses in this time of pandemic is the absence of witnesses at sporting events. I cannot imagine going out onto a basketball court and playing a game without fans in the stands. And of course, we solved that problem by doing what? Piping in sounds of fans in the stands. If you watched any of the Olympics, the absence of fans, the absence of, of witnesses. And if you would listen to the interview with some of the athletes, they would talk about how much more difficult it was with the absence of fans cheering them on. And so I love this image of a stadium full of those Old Testament saints that Paul is describing, these cloud of witnesses who were watching. And I, for me, I think of some of my favorite Old Testament saints that I, I kind of love and admire above others. And, and I, I like to envision them in the stands, standing to their feet and, and cheering me on, right? Presence of witnesses. And the goal of the race, our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. Not only are witnesses important, but as I read this text, wait matters. And the author of Hebrews talks about us laying aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us. It weighs us down. 
Weight matters. It matters in the sports arena and it matters in the Christian life. Lance Armstrong won the Tour de France seven times. Of course, since then, because of doping allegations, all those titles have been stripped from him. But as I, as I read the story of Lance's life in cycling, one of the things that struck me, in seven years of winning the Tour de France, the weight of his bicycle changed from the first bike he rode and won the first time to the seventh time. He was able, through technology and modern science, to shave seven pounds off of the bicycle. New materials, new design, cutting weight here, reducing seven pounds. And it's kind of comical to me today when I hear people talking about lighter bikes and lighter components. I took 50 pounds off of my bike. Someone smiling and nodding knew where that was going. I took 50 pounds off of my bike by doing what? I took 50 pounds off of here. Back in 2014, 2015, I lost 50 pounds. Yeah, I put 10 of them back on, but still I'm ahead of the game, right? And I'll tell you, the difference riding up that mountain over there at 215 pounds is a lot different at 185. And, and that's what Paul is saying to you and me in this Christian race that we're running. The cross reminds us of the necessity in this relationship with our Savior who died on the cross. That we're laying aside those things in our lives that entangle us and tie us down. And for many of us, it, it might not be issues of sin. It might not be issues of disobedience. It might be more the issues of priorities. What I give attention to in my life, what matters in my life, where my focus is. But Paul says we need to be laying aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. You see, the cross should motivate us to holiness. The cross should motivate us to living a godly life. And it should motivate us to take inventory. How am I doing in this race? There's the witnesses. They're up in the stands. They're cheering for me. But, you know, what's my role? What's my responsibility? Lay aside that which entangles. Lay aside the sin that encumbers me and pulls me back. You see, the cross matters, doesn't it? The cross matters. And sadly, it so often gets stolen from our lives and it gets kind of relegated, you know, I, I sometimes talk about there's things on the back burner and then there's the things that kind of fell off the back of the stove and they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. I think that, that happens to the cross a lot of times. And we can attribute some of that to the busyness of life, the hectic, hecticness of life, all the stuff we got going on. But I also believe it's true we have an enemy, right? And he would love to have you never think about the cross. He would love to have you never considered the impact of Jesus' death on your life today. 
You see, the cross is intended to touch and impact and affect your life today. Not just the day you turn to Jesus, repented of sin, and put your faith and trust in Him. The cross is intended to matter today, and tomorrow, and the day after. We need, we need to keep it front and center. How do you do that? How do you keep the cross front and center in your life? You know, some people, I notice, uh, wear jewelry. They'll have a cross. I've even seen bracelets. I've even seen earrings with the cross. And uh, I, I often wonder why people do that. Maybe for some people it is a reminder. You know, I, I fear too often we kind of treat the cross like a little rabbit's foot, you know. We're kind of hoping we'll get a special blessing or a special lucky thing going on. But that might be a way to remember. Um, you might hang a cross from your rear view mirror in your car. I see people do that. That might be a reminder. Or on the wall at home. A lot of people do that. Keep the cross in front of your eyes. But I find what happens even with a cross on the wall at home, that the first week you put it up, you're, you're reminded constantly that it's there, right? But how many days after that do you never think about it again? Just because it's part of the furniture, if you will. That might be a way to kind of keep the cross front and center, maybe. Music helps me. Songs that talk about the cross. Keep me focused on the cross. Remind me. We were listening to a CD in the car this morning. That's one of the advantages of living a half an hour away. I can kind of get warmed up for worship because i got a half an hour to listen to music and as many of you know, my friend Tim Bryant, the founder of uh, Bluegrass Brethren, passed away a couple weeks ago from COVID. And I wanted to listen to one of his CDs this morning. And it was just amazing to me, in the half-hour drive, how many of the songs I listened to that we heard uh, talked about the cross. Because the cross mattered to Tim. A lot of the music he wrote focused on the cross. And so music uh, helps me Helps me keep my thought about the cross. There's probably a verse or two in the Bible that talk about the cross, right? Yeah. So maybe another way to keep the cross front and center is to kind of in the disciplines in my life, if I'm a Bible reader, maybe kind of making plans and spending time where I'm kind of focused on some passages that talk about the cross. Memorizing scripture is always a good idea, right? The psalmist says, Thy word I put in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so maybe memorizing passages about the cross. Meditating on those passages about the cross. I don't know what it, what it takes for you to be reminded of the cross. Probably one of the best things you can do to keep yourself reminded of the cross is to tell somebody else about the cross. Remind somebody else, fellow believer, about the cross, or share with a non-believer. Speaking about the cross, talking about, keep the cross front and center. And so that's my thought this morning as we, as we prepare to share communion. For each one of us, what, what is it that you sense Jesus telling you at this moment of time? How 
when and where in your life this next week. What can you do to keep the cross front and center? What can you do in your life this week to keep the cross foremost in your heart, in your mind, and in your life? What's Jesus saying to you in these moments? Because I fear that the cross has been stolen from many of our lives. Through inattention, through our enemy. Let's refocus on the cross. And that's what we want to do this morning as we share communion together. I'm assuming you all were able to get one of one of these. The bag is intended also for you to be able to put the cup back in there so that we don't don't drip and lose stuff. But you'll find I forget how to open this in flash times, so you gotta be careful, right? But there's there's two little layers of uh, plastic. The first one covers the, the wafer, the bread, and uh, you can peel that little first layer back. This little wafer is intended to remind us of Jesus' body. It's intended to cause us to remember all that Jesus experienced, all that he went through. Reading recently in the Gospels and reading again this week in Mark 15, the passage I asked Yvette to read as we began reminded me again of all that Jesus suffered and all that he experienced. Not only on the cross itself, but on the way to the cross. He was beaten, spit upon, mocked, laughed at. If I understand the scriptures, he was beaten beyond the point of recognition. That's pretty serious. He was beaten so badly, apparently, that he wasn't able even to carry his own cross very far. He apparently carried it part of the way, but a man by the name of Simon was pulled out of the crowd to carry Jesus' cross for him. I thought about Simon this week. Our men's group on Tuesday morning was studying that passage. and All four of the Gospels are in harmony. They mentioned Simon from Cyrene. Picked out of the crowd, randomly selected, if you will, unless you believe in a sovereign God who controls and overrules all. Picked out of the crowd this lone dude, privileged to carry the cross of Jesus. Wow. But Jesus was so badly beaten and battered, not able to carry his cross even. And then, of course, the nails were driven through his hands, through his feet. Probably as he was laying on top of the cross, those nails were driven, and then they elevated the cross and dropped it in the hole while he was nailed. All that for you and me. Somehow that speaks to me about love. That Jesus would endure all of that for me. 
and for you. And so, as you take the wafer this morning, give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, your Savior, who endured all of that for you. Jesus, it's an overwhelming thought. It's an overwhelming thought to contemplate all that you suffered for me. Thank you for that demonstration of, of love. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. So much. Thank you for all that you endured on our behalf. Thank you. Then, if you'll take that cup again, this is the tricky part for me. This is where I usually spill it. That little tab that sticks out, that carefully peel it back. There you go. This red liquid, of course, is intended to remind us of Jesus' blood. There are so many scriptures that talk about the blood, right? Hundreds, if not thousands, of scriptures that talk about the blood. It's hard to read very far anywhere in your Bible without encountering the blood. Some people find that difficult. And I understand that. I have friends that are animal lovers and they kind of rebel against that whole Old Testament system of animal sacrifices. I understand that. But God's whole plan from the beginning, before the beginning, God's whole plan always has been what? that Jesus would go to the cross and redeem you and me. That was always God's plan. There was never a plan B or C, right? There's one plan. And it was all about the cross. It was all about the sacrifice of the precious Son of God. And you think of that, that whole Old Testament system of the animals that were sacrificed to the writer of Hebrews says that the, the blood of bulls and goats was not adequate. It worked for a while, right? Worked for a while, that whole system. But Peter tells us that it was the, the precious blood. More, more precious than silver and gold. It was the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And so what you hold in your hands is intended to represent, it's intended to remind that Jesus' blood was shed. The beating he took, the nails in his hands and feet, the spear in his side, all of that. 
for you and for me. Because without the cross, this faith that you and I embrace is worth what? Not. Nothing. Without the cross, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without the shed blood, there's no hope of heaven. <laughs> Several years ago, I was privileged to speak in a world religions class at um, what was then Life Pacific Bible College, today Life Pacific University. And I was invited to speak in a world religions class. And so they're studying about Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Islam, Confucianism. They're, they're, they're studying about all these religions. <clears throat> and I, I believe I shocked them when I told them there's only two religions on the planet. There's only two religions in the world. The one religion is the religion of self-effort. You do it. You work at it. The other religion is Jesus did it. That's why the, the hymn writer said, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And so as, as you take this cup this morning, you're reminded that it's by grace, through faith, not of your own works, your own effort, your own skill, your own goodness. It's because of the cross is because of Jesus' shed blood. So take the cup and, and give him thanks. truth of scripture, the reminder that all we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. But you laid on him <laughs> the sin of us all. And I'm thankful for the promise that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the shed blood. Thank you for the simple truth of Scripture that we sang earlier. That simple, basic God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so Lord, we're grateful this morning. We're grateful for that broken body, that shed blood, with that cross. Help us, Lord, to keep the cross at the very forefront of our hearts and our minds and our lives. Today, tomorrow, and beyond. Help us to do that. Thank you for helping.
Thank you for the ministry, the ministry of your Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Thank you. We're grateful. And we give you thanks together in the mighty name of not only our crucified Lord, but our risen Lord Jesus, our soon coming King. We give you thanks in His name.
been good to be here this morning, huh? Amen. It's been good to be here. Our worship team has led us well, reminding us of all that Jesus has done for us. The scriptures, I hope, have spoken to your heart and to mine with good reminders. And my prayer is that as you go this morning, you'll take the cross front and center with you into a world that needs to know about Jesus. Big uh, happy birthday to Habib on Saturday, I think. And uh, <laughs> Haley Sincock has a birthday middle of the week on Wednesday, if I remember right. So shout out to Haley. So uh, happy birthday. And uh, reminder to the ladies, if you're looking for more information from the things that were announced in the video earlier, Janine will be at the communication center with uh, that information. Junior high and high school kids, believe it or not, are coming back after being haven't met since how long, Tim? <laughs> Been a while. So Wednesday night, you're going to get to gather again with Tim on uh, Wednesday. So plan on that and be a part of that. Be in prayer for one another. Be in prayer for our church. Um, I, I I feel God stirring in my heart a, a, a call for prayer. And uh, somewhere in the next week or two, I'm going to spill what's churning inside of me. But uh, I, I trust you're praying, praying for our church, praying for our search for a new pastor, praying for our church leaders. Uh, we need prayer. We desperately need God's work in our lives and in our hearts. And so go this morning in the power of God's Holy Spirit, who Jesus said that we would be as witnesses to Norwalk and the San Gabriel Valley and state of California and the U.S. and beyond, right? Amen. Let's go with that sense this morning. God bless you.